average, everyday, busy people like us who we work with, the 1% rule has gotten in the way. They heard it on a podcast. They read it in a book. They saw it somewhere that the 1% rule is the thing. And then because they couldn't find a home with the 1% rule in force, they just waited. And then how many tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars have they potentially missed out on by sitting on the sidelines because they couldn't find something that met the 1% rule? What would your life look like if you could replace all of your working income with simple and conservative investments that could do it for you? Over the last 13 years, we've helped thousands of clients transact over half a billion dollars in simple and conservative real estate transactions, allowing them to begin replacing their work income with real estate investment income. Each week, we'll be pulling back the curtain on the ins and outs of real-time retirement-based real estate transactions that will transform your financial future, even if you have no real estate experience. This is Replace Your Income with me, Kevin Clayson. And Steve Earle. All right. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Replace Your Income with Kevin and... Steve. What's up, dude? How's it going, Kevin? Good, man. I felt like that was melodic. I felt like I could have done like a Boys to Men-esque run with my voice there and really gone straight R&B I on it. that was but one of your better th- Thank you. Frankly, yeah. Thank you. I don't get compliments often. So whatever, I'll take whatever I could get. Hey, I'll, I'll <laughs> give them whenever I can see one. Oh man, how are you doing? It's good to be back on the mic. Yeah, it feels good. It's a great day out. It's beautiful outside. It's been a great week actually. And uh, it's good just to be in here this morning to talk about what we're going to talk about. Well, it's a good topic. And to kind of give everybody where the topic is coming from. So I was in Orlando last week, right? Actually, it was, it was this week. The weeks just all blur together. Let's yeah, be honest. It's Monday, Tuesday. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I was in Orlando this week. And uh, by the way, have you ever noticed, like, I know you were in Florida recently. I love when you go to Orlando and it's like this you know how you're supposed to like go into a sauna and you get all sweaty and then you can go jump in an icy pond and it's like therapeutic or I don't know, it's like healthy. I feel like that every time I go to Florida, okay? Because I walk outside, I'm hit with like instant moisture heat. I'm sweating instantly. But if I have to walk back inside of the hotel, I instantly have icicles on my nose. They keep the air conditioning. I just want to see, I was at a big hotel and I wanted, I just one time, I want to see their air conditioning bill. Like, I know they can afford it. I know they can afford it because they charge me $13 for a croissant and $4 for a can of soda. Like, I know they can afford it, but I still want to see it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the benefits of going there. In fact, my wife loves going to Florida for that very reason. Like, the air there, it's it's very humid. And she's like, she doesn't have to put on a gallon of lotion every day. Like, she's here in Utah where the air is so dry. So dry. Yeah, my wife cannot stand dry hands. And so... I'm not always good at lotion, although I do have a manly lotion that's sitting here that smells yeah, kind of Very like manly. cologne. Yeah. I walked and in so, here, it smelled manly. Yeah. Okay. See, thank you. It's I like mahogany and teakwood. No. Yeah. And so I use that because sometimes I'll go to hold my wife's hands. And if my hands are dry, she can't. It's like nails on a chalkboard. And so maybe if I lived in Florida, it wouldn't be an issue. Yeah, that's right. Well, either that or she says it's the dry hands. It could be a whole slew of other reasons. Let's be honest. You better move to Orlando. (laughs) (laughs) So I was in Orlando and I was speaking. So everybody listening, if you went back, I don't know how many episodes, four, five, six, I don't know. We interviewed a guy by the name of Don Pendleton, who is one of the founders and owners of this awesome company called Protect Wealth. They do a lot with asset protection. And they invited me to come to Florida to speak on their big stage. And it was kind of cool, Steve, because it was the first time I've spoke for DFY at a live event on a big stage since early 2019. Wow. No, 2020. 
20, right before COVID. Yeah. And so it was so cool to have everybody there, to have everybody together, to be with people. It was awesome. And it was a great event. So they invited me to come and speak and they wanted me to do like an hour and a half, two hours on real estate. And uh, I said, are you sure you don't want Steve? He's the one that actually knows what he's talking about. And they said, no, we want you to dance. And so that's what I did. I danced for two hours on stage. And I just said the word real estate. Hey, dancing is way more important. Entertain <laughs> is way more important than information, right? And, but you, it, and you got both. Yeah, you, got I both. you got the information and you got the moves, dude. Yes. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. So I'm in Orlando and I was kind of thinking like, I always try to change my presentations for the audience, right? It's just like we do with this podcast. Like every time we're coming up with a topic, we're like, what do people need, right? We don't want to have an agenda. We want the agenda to be what it is that people might need to hear. And so I built this entirely new presentation. I spoke late in the afternoon. And so I woke up early and I worked on this new presentation and I called it the five developments that are creating real success in real estate today with today sort of being the the important word there. And the first thing that I talked about was a topic that you and I have talked about, but not yet on the podcast, and something that we had had some discussions about here in office, and that's what we're going to talk about today. But Steve, in order to do that, I feel like we need that music that goes, dun, 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 dun. Yes, I know. It's kind of a sad topic to begin with. It gets happy afterwards, but... You know, there's there's a tremendous loss we, you know, about we're, what we're going to be talking we about. We have to talk about death. And we don't usually talk about death on this podcast, but there has been a member of the real estate community that's been alive and thriving, frankly, for far too long. Correct. Somebody should have killed this member of the community off a long time ago, but they didn't. <laughs> and uh, But now it has been officially declared that this member of the real estate community that has been a thorn in our side for years is finally dead. Steve, officially, officially tell everybody can, can what we died. Do one second of silence. Let's please. do one second. Okay. That's okay, that was right. good. I think that was enough. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's enough. So, what's dead, Steve? What's official? The one percent rule, Kev. The one percent rule in that too uh, is to dead. So here's the deal, guys. You're probably like, why are they talking about death? That was awkward. Listen, so there was an article that came out in Bigger Pockets that declared that the 1% rule is dead. And Steve, we here at Done For You Real Estate, we've known the death of the 1% rule for a long time. And here's the thing. The reason why I said it's been- Kevin, I I even go so far as to say for us, it really never even actually existed. No. So anyways, go ahead. No, you're right. It never really was something that we were focused on or concerned with, but here's, for those of you that don't know what the 1% rule is, the reason it's been like a bane of our existence is as you know, we work with people from all over the country who want to do real estate. And so when people get attracted to our company or they start to do research on our company and the kind of way that we do real estate, one of the things they always ask is, well, it's really hard. Like, it doesn't seem like your properties really fit the 1% rule. And and our response is always like, yeah, they don't because we don't care about the 1% rule. So what is the 1% rule? This is a rule that's been in existence really since kind of the crash, right? Isn't that kind of when the advent of it was? And it was this gauge in this rule that real estate investors really popularized. And it was finding properties where the rent would be 1% of the purchase price, right? Where the monthly rent was 1% of purchase price. Now, the reason for that- So the purchase price was $250,000. 
So what what would rent be then? Yeah, t- so it would be twenty five hundred dollars, right? Right. So one percent of the purchase price, and the reason why that mattered is because cash flow was king. Cash flow was the thing that everybody focused on and that everybody wanted to hear about. And so they would go and they would not. So like our properties, right? Like if you get a two hundred and let's say thirty thousand dollar property and it rents for let's say sixteen hundred a month, right? What is that? Sixteen hundred divided by two thirty is 0.007. So somebody would say, oh, that doesn't work. That's a that's not 1% of the purchase price. But we would look at that and we'd be like, are you kidding? You're cash flowing three or $400 a month and that doesn't even include appreciation or tax benefits or principal pay down. That is just a simple metric based on what the rent is and what the purchase price is. But that metric, Steve, was used by real estate investors for a really long time as judging the value of whether or not they wanted to look at a certain investment. Well, and I have to tell you, Kevin, so the unspoken part about the 1% rule is that only about 1% of the properties out there meet that criteria. Yeah. And so very, very few properties ever met that criteria. Now, if you were a super aggressive real estate investor and that's what you did all day, every day, and you're just in the market, search, 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 and then you competed against 20 other investors on that one particular property, bottom line is there were very few properties that met that criteria. And as a result, so many of those individual investors missed out on so many great opportunities. That's a good point. There's a real opportunity cost to that, yeah, right? Like at the end of the day, right? If you take a look at what percentage of cash flow makes up the overall benefit of a real estate investment property. I mean, when I think of our pro formas, right? We like to see cash flows that maybe range between like four and eight percent cash on cash return, but the actual annualized return that we look at usually ranges between 15 and 20%. Or so it's higher. Or higher. Yeah. If I, I like to I like to keep it conservative. There you go. Yeah. So, but but really, so think about it. If cash flow is around four percent, your overall return is 20%, it's only making up like effectively one-fifth of the overall benefit of the property. But that was the thing people were leading with. Well, and Kevin, it's not even quite that good because it's one-fifth of the overall return on investment. And right. what you're not taking into account there is the depreciation. Yeah, all the other the stuff. Reca- all the recap. That's right. Right. So it's even worse than that. Meaning, and like, don't get me wrong, Kevin, like cash flow is important. Oh, we love it. It's an extremely important part of, of the overall dynamic of every property that we take a look at and that we approve, you know, for our clients to consider buying. It's critical. But- in years past, it had too much emphasis and too much importance on it placed yeah. such that many, many opportunities were passed over by the really aggressive real estate investor. And so at the end of the day, cash flow is important, but it only makes up less than one-fifth of the overall benefit that a property provides. Well, and far too often, I don't think that we calculate and we just, I mean, in general, people looking at real estate calculate the opportunity cost of waiting, right? Exactly. So for example, okay, I just got a report on my home today, the one that, that we bought like a year ago, right? Okay, it's legit gone up 140 grand wow. in equity, right? Crazy. Okay, it's, it's insane. Like it's just, I've been living there for a year, right? Like right. I've been mowing the lawn and it made me 140 grand, okay? So, <laughs> but when we think about that, what if I would have waited a few months? What if I would have waited six months? I wouldn't have captured all of that. And so whenever, because we say it all the time on the podcast, when's the best time to buy real estate? Same as planting a shade tree 20 years ago, second best time is today. Why? Because even if the market's going up, like don't you want to capture some of the increase? So sure, the market is not, maybe you can't go find a property that has 30% equity today. 
But by waiting and sitting on the sideline, and I honestly, this happens all the time. I will circle back around with people that are considering working with us and our company at six months after the fact, they're going, all right, Kev, uh, I've been waiting six months and I guess I should finally pull the trigger because I just realized, I just calculated how much I missed out on both in cash flow and equity by sitting on the sidelines and waiting for something better. So there's a real opportunity cost. And I think there have been many people who've been scared away from investments because it didn't meet the 1% rule because for whatever reason, they believed that that was the most profound rule in real estate investing. And by the way, I don't think it's bad to have a rule of thumb. If that's what somebody's sort of like code of real estate investing ethics was, it has to be fine. Okay, it's good that you've got something that governs your decisions, but this 1% rule has actually in a lot of ways, maybe it made some people a bunch of money, I don't know. But I think for most average, everyday, busy people like us who we work with, the 1% rule has gotten in the way. You know, they heard it on a podcast, they read it in a book, they saw it somewhere that the 1% rule is the thing, and then because they couldn't find a home with one percent with the 1% rule in force, they just waited, and then how many tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars have they potentially missed out on by sitting on the sidelines because they couldn't find something that met the 1% rule? Yeah, exactly, and, and you've spoken to many prospective clients who that did get in the way. Oh, yeah. But fortunately, we had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of clients who fortunately didn't get in the way of, Correct. they were the beneficiaries of, of being able to look you know, beyond and look past that and understand the importance of cash flow, but the fact that that, in fact, isn't even the, the number one thing. Well, yeah, yes. You know, we did, I, I feel like it's probably one of our first episodes, but whenever I go and speak to an audience that that's like, they're not just a real estate audience. I always like, and even if they are, I like to talk about the four things that we love about real estate, like why we love real estate. And one of them is that real estate provides multiple profit centers, right? There's not many investments that do. And so cash flow is one of multiple profit centers. So we love cash flow. We want cash flow. We don't help our clients go and buy properties right now that don't have positive cash flow. But when we place so much emphasis on it, it can keep us away from some of the other profit centers and benefits that so, can Kim, come. So Kim, let's just do a quick reminder, just a quick you know, breakdown of what are those profit centers. Yeah. So again, number one, cash flow. We always look at cash flow. That is one of the profit centers. Second profit center is appreciation, right? Yep. Second profit center is depreciation, tax savings, yep. that kind of a thing. A fourth profit center is the fact that your tenant is literally paying pay down, down your principal. loan. So there's yep. principal pay down on a monthly basis. Yep. Yeah, I look at it and I say, you've got cash flow, you've got appreciation, you have tax benefits, and you have principal pay down, right? And, and deep, yeah, tax benefits. Yeah and, yeah, and so I look at, that's four profit centers wrapped up in one investment, and that's only one of the four reasons we love real estate that makes it a unique investment class, right? Yeah. And so it is so powerful and now, but I want to circle back to this 1% rule because I don't want you guys to think that we're just making it up. Like, let me give you some numbers, okay? So first of all, just understand if you've heard about the 1% rule, you know it played a big role. If you've never heard of the 1% rule, Steve and I are just letting you know this is something that governed people's decision process for a long time. But let me give you some numbers, okay? So the average national home purchase price as of right now, according to The Motley Fool, is $374,000. That's the national average purchase price on single-family properties, okay? The average, according to Realtor.com, so the national average monthly rent is $1,600, okay? 
So that means that the average national monthly rent is 0.004% of the national average purchase price. Now, obviously, submarkets and multiple markets, I mean, that's a really sort of like broad snapshot. But even the national averages are 50% below what most people would have sought with the 1% rule. And to give you guys, I thought that, it. are you okay with this, Steve? I pulled just a couple little pieces from this Bigger Pockets article. And for those of you, you know, Bigger Pockets, it's a great source for investment information. There's a lot on there that's really good that you benefit from. There's a bunch on there that Steve and I probably maybe disagree with or even not disagree with, but, you know, we have a different take on it. So it's not to say that it's bad or good. It's a great source. Yep. They have a great podcast, but they're the ones that I think have for many years in their forums, there's been a lot of people that have kind of been supporting the idea of the 1% rule. They're the ones who wrote an article called The 1% Rule is Dead. And here's what the article said. It said, for years, the 1% rule has been treated like scientific fact. And the article says, and I'd like to end that today. It goes on. The 1% rule is simply a rule of thumb and an outdated one at that. It was created, and this is key to it. It was created during a different time and overvalues the role of cash flow in today's real estate investing climate. And so then it goes on and says, what's the 1% rule? This popular metric, right? The rent to price ratio to estimate cash flow. And it talks about where the 1% rule came from, right? So if you take a look at what happened after the financial crisis, right? We saw housing prices declined rapidly, right? much faster than rents declined. Now, if you're wondering why that happened, that's because you had people in rental contracts, and so they were still paying the monthly rent. They couldn't decline the rent instantly when the price of a property declined, so it took longer for rents to kind of catch up with some of the decrease than what you saw and, in appreciation. And that, on the rent side of things, right? Rent is a great equalizer, and rent typically doesn't fluctuate for one of the reasons, like you just suggested, is because people have at least one-year contracts, sometimes two- and three-year contracts, but above and beyond that, like rent is rent and it's not, at least once it's in place, people have 30-year mortgages, yeah, right? right. So whether the value of their property goes, like if it goes sky high, that doesn't mean that their rent is going to follow right behind it. For brand new contracts that are coming up, yes, rents will, that's that's kind of the upward pressure, right? That price is, sure. uh, puts on rents, but it really is mitigated just by the fact that you've got these long-term contracts in place. That's what creates such great stability in the rental investment property arena. That's a huge reason of why we like this kind of rental real estate, right? Yeah. Why we like this Moneyball real estate type of stuff. So it kind of started when you saw that prices declined quickly, rents did not necessarily keep up, and then that trend of that sort of situation kind of lasted through a good bunch of the early 2010s. Like I think about what we were able to go buy homes for and what we could still rent properties for, and then what's happened over really like the last five to six years in terms of prices correcting and markets, I don't know if it's correcting or just getting back to normal appreciation or outpacing normal appreciation, but now, because we see this in Utah all the time, you've got prices of properties today increasing in a lot of markets, especially expensive markets, the prices are increasing much quicker than rent, which is actually an interesting point because, Steve, one of the big pieces of why we do the research and we like to be in the markets that we're in is we still experience rent increases that are very similar to some of what we're seeing from an appreciation standpoint and not where the price and the appreciation 
is super outpacing what we're seeing in rent increases, right? Yeah, no, exactly. You nailed it. And this article, like I, I really enjoyed reading the article and going through it because of the clarification that that it really did provide for, in particular, the investor community. Bigger Pockets is kind of the tip of the spear for the more aggressive investor who's really getting after it. They're spending yeah. their days somebody and their nights. Like and a real investor, right? Yeah, that yeah somebody who do. that's what they're yeah. passionate about. It, it, maybe they're full-time or maybe even part-time, but they put a lot of time into it on a daily, weekly basis. And the one of the lines that I love from this article, it said, we need to adjust our expectations. And this is, and it goes on, and then I'm gonna circle back to that phrase right there. It goes on, it says, we need to adjust our expectations. What was considered a benchmark in 2011 cannot be reasonably used as a benchmark in 2021 if you want to be an active, or we'd even say a passive real estate investor, right? And I wanna circle back to that phrase, we need to adjust our expectations. Steve, one of the things that I know we really like about this kind of real estate that we talk about on the podcast and looking to replace part or all of one's income through simple and conservative single-family investment properties and some of these great markets throughout the country that are nice properties and good neighborhoods that are you know, your typical three or four bed, two bath, two car garage that's gonna rent well, that's gonna cash flow, that has all of the factors of what we love about this kind of real estate is we have seen that expectations need to be adjusted based on what the economy is giving us. But the cool thing is this kind of real estate, this simple and conservative approach to single family residential real estate investing, it works no matter what the expectation is for a lot of other people, right? Yeah. Where, but where it changes, right, Steve, is like if the market collapses, well, then we may be going and looking at properties that are significantly cheaper than what they were a couple years ago, right? And that's gonna be a big factor. I remember when we first started to do stuff in like Las Vegas and Phoenix, one of the metrics that blew my mind was we were helping our clients buy these properties for significantly less than even the insured rebuild cost, yep. which is crazy. That was the metric then. If that was the metric we were still using today, we, we'd we be pretty screwed. That would be pretty hard to go find. Then there's other economies where it's like, okay, well, we are gonna go, it's gonna be a cash flow heavy economy. So we're gonna look at something like a 1% rule, not that we've ever looked at that, but cash flow, there's times when a cash flow play may be more appropriate to be considering when you're looking at the overall strategy. Sometimes it's gonna be appreciation. Sometimes it's gonna be buying below market. Sometimes it's gonna be like right now, it almost feels like right now, and I don't know, I'd love your take on this. This is a hot take. I'm just shooting from the hip. But I almost feel like one of the deciding factors for people today should be this. Can I get a property? And the reason why I say that is dude, the conversation that I have most often with people on the front end is I want to do real estate, I can't find any. They've talked to other investment groups, they've gone to websites and they're like, nobody has inventory. Yesterday we met with a guy, I was talking to him, he was kind of like, yeah, I wanna do single family but I'm also kind of like super interested in like multifamily. I was like, okay, he's like, but there's really nothing available and I don't know if there's gonna be anything available in this company I'm talking to, they're not sure when they're gonna have property available. And so this idea of even just inventory being a deciding factor of whether or not you ought to take action, I think even that, that's kind of the world that we're in right now. There's a major short supply. Yeah, exactly. And to touch on the point where as the market cycles, you have the different factors that you always want to take a look at. You might place a little bit more weight, say on appreciation or a little bit more weight on cash flow. 
you have to just keep in mind that there's these four centers of revenue yeah. possibility, right? And you have to look at all four of them in conjunction together at any given moment during the real estate cycle as it cycles around. And as long as you're doing that, that's kind of like, I love the phrase, the money ball concept, yeah. where you're looking at all of the different statistical factors in analyzing a property in light of your long-term strategy, Yes, right? What yes. is that long-term strategy? Because that is the context in which you need to look at investment real estate when you're just kind of a, a professional who's busy doing what you're doing every day, but you want to be in the market. You need to be in the market of real estate. You want to have some properties in your portfolio. Taking a look at that at the overall strategy, which is your perspective, which is your overall structure, and then those four factors and using them in combination, right, to decide is this the right property? Is this a good property? Does it make sense? Absolutely. And I love sports analogies because I think they just, at least for me, because I love sports, they help me make sense of the world around me, right? And if we were to look at the Moneyball concept, right? And we were to, for those of you, you've heard us talk about Moneyball, you know, you've probably seen the movie with Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill, or you've read the book. You know, Steve and I have realized more and more that Moneyball real estate is really what we do, right? That we're the only ones that we know of that really talk about it in those terms. And it's because that has proven itself out for two decades now, right? So if you were to take the baseball analogy of Moneyball, what the Oakland Athletics did, they had one guiding metric, okay? The one guiding metric was that they want to know how does somebody get on base consistently? Because from that, it meant that the more people you get on base more consistently, the higher the likelihood of scoring runs and the higher the likelihood of winning the games. But if all they focused on was right-handers or left-handers or power hitters or not power hitters, then they would have said, okay, well, it, we have to go find right-handed power hitters. And if that's all they were looking for, how many other things are they passing over that could have helped them with their larger goal of getting people on base? Thankfully, that's not what the Oakland A's did. They just said, I don't care what the statistic is, who's good at getting on base? Are they good at taking walks? Are they good at getting hit by pitches? Can they bunt? Can they hit a single? What gets them on base? All of the other stuff didn't matter. When you look at that from a real estate standpoint, sometimes we get these ideas in our head of, okay, I, it's purchase price. Purchase price is the only thing I'm gonna focus on. But then how many other things are you ignoring, right? If the ultimate goal is getting on base financially so that you can replace all or a portion of your income, if it's to own investment real estate that can change your financial future and all you're focused on is purchase price, that's like focusing on right-handed power hitters, right? Or focusing on the 1% rule. Or the whatever, 1% rule. Right, so whatever that one individual thing is, if you get tunnel vision, if you're not looking at the whole picture and your overall strategy, you're kind of shortchanging yourself. Well, this is such a powerful philosophy. Let's use football too, right? So I'm a big 49er fan. I'm a big BYU Cougar fan. So the 49ers, they're a great team, right? They have had some injuries already in the first bit of the year. You look at the football field, you have all of these positions that are critical. Like the offensive line, generally speaking, they're not the guys that everybody's like, oh, offensive lineman, you're my hero. Get on the Wheaties box, right? Nobody cares about an offensive lineman, but if you don't have a good offensive lineman, then the person who everybody thinks is the star, which is the quarterback, doesn't have the ability to succeed. If all a football team did was focus on an offensive line and they didn't have a run game and they didn't have a good play caller and they didn't have a good quarterback and they didn't have a good defense and they didn't have anybody that could catch the ball and they didn't have a good blocking tight end. 
Well, you've got a good offensive line, but it doesn't mean you're going to win games. You've got to have a well-rounded approach. And what we like with the way that we think of and we look at real estate, both the baseball or the football analogy, is there needs to be multiple profit centers that we're considering. There needs to be multiple factors that we're considering. That's why we don't say we're going to stick our flag in the ground for one singular market, right? We're just going to be there. It's like, We're going to go find the right kind of real estate in the right market with the right set of combinations that provides multiple profit centers so that people can begin replacing their income one property at a time over time with simple and conservative single-family residential real estate, right? It's it's not, you said it great, Steve, it's not having tunnel vision. And the 1% rule for a long time was the tunnel vision that kept a ton of people out of the game and certainly didn't help them win it. It was so nice to see this article and to see the main promoter of this kind of rule of thumb, stand back and stand up and say, it is dead. It is gone. It's time to move on. It's kind of like Ted Benny, who created the 401k, having a quote years later that said, if I would have known then what I know now, I never would have brought that to anybody's attention because that's (laughs) it. He's like the guy who's like, hey, companies use the 401k. You can look that up. That's a true story. Well, okay, guys. Well, this was a good discussion. I thought this was awesome. It was great. And I'm so thankful to have this ammunition. Thanks to this conversation, bigger pockets, just generally what's happening in the economy. Because as I talk to people and they bring up the 1% rule, I can say, hey, go listen to this episode. And so if you're one of those people listening to this episode now a year later, you're welcome, okay? (laughs) But uh, anyway, thank you everybody for joining us. As always, please Go and review the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, follow the podcast. Go check out the website, dfy-realestate.com. We always have lots of good stuff there. If you're not on our email list, if you want to get on our email list, at the bottom of our website, you could say, I want to be a part of the newsletter. We send out this podcast whenever it publishes, and now we've started to add properties inside the email that goes out so you can see recent property examples. So make sure that you get on the list so that you could be a part of that. But we're so thankful for you guys. We appreciate you. Steve, any last words as we wrap up? No, just thanks, everybody. Appreciate all of you. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks for joining us on Replace Your Income with Kevin and Steve. Do you want to learn more about our company, Done For You Real Estate, and to see if you qualify right now, today, to begin replacing your income with simple and conservative real estate investing done for you? visit dfy-intro.com. Click the orange button, watch our super quick webinar, and fill out the little form on the right side of the page. You'll know within 60 seconds if you qualify to begin replacing your income right away. As always, please rate, review, and share the podcast with friends and family. And until next time, just remember, income replacement for you and your family may only be one property away. See you next week.